Welcome to Living Word Church. Let's hear from Pastor Ben as he teaches from the Gospel of John in our Eternal Word series. This morning, we are continuing in John, John 16. I've titled the message, The Ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Ministry of the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word here this morning. We're going to, we're going to look at your word in John 16, and we are going to learn this morning about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and what he does in the life of the believer, but also what he does to, uh, in the lives of those who, who don't know Christ yet. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, that, that you have given us your Holy Spirit. And we can, we can live in the power of the Spirit to accomplish your purposes in our life. And I pray that as we study the work of the Spirit, that you would uh, remind us, encourage us, and strengthen us. And remind us to walk in the power that you've given us. And we thank you for your word. I pray that you would help me this morning to open my mouth, to preach your word, and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So many, many people in life look for an advantage or an edge. They look for an advantage or an edge. How many of you look for an advantage in certain things? You, I think of three areas that people look for an advantage. They look for an advantage in athletics. Look for an advantage in business. They look for an advantage or an edge in in school, right? We look for an advantage, an, an edge. We want to get an edge. If it's in athletics, we want to get an, an edge or an advantage on the competition. We want to we work a little harder, plan a little more. We want to we get that edge. We want to get that advantage. It's the same thing as in business. We, you know, in business, if you own a business, you're in competition with other businesses, especially if you have a business that is similar to other businesses in your community. You're, you're looking for that edge. What, what is it that will cause people to come to your business versus other businesses. We want that edge. We want that advantage. We want that advantage. And then in school, if you're in school, you're looking for that advantage or that edge when it comes to taking tests. Uh, you know, I'm back in school. Um, I'm finishing my bachelor's degree in theology. I, by, by the grace of God, uh, I should be finished this time next year. Uh, and it has been a long 10-year journey to get this degree at a part-time level. I'm full-time now in school, and so we're going to finish it. We're going to get done. And I'm looking for an advantage. I have a midterm next week um, in Intro to Philosophy. If you want something to rack to hurt your brain, take an Intro to Philosophy class. I want an advantage. I want an edge for that midterm exam. I'm curious. It's a multiple choice. I sure hope it is. It means I got a 50-50 chance of getting it right. And so we look for an advantage. But one thing that we don't do, we don't think this way when we're looking for an advantage. Let's remove, we don't think this way, let's remove the most important part of our success and then we'll be better off. We would never say that when we're looking for an advantage. Like if you're on a football team or a sports team, you don't think, well, let's look for an advantage and while we're looking for an advantage, let's remove the star player from the team. We would never say that. But in essence, in our text today, this is what Jesus says. In the minds of his disciples, when Jesus says in our text, it is to your advantage, I go away, they're thinking, oh, there is no way that this is to our advantage, that you go away. The star player of the team should not leave, and there's no way that this is good for us. So this is what we're going to look at. Why is it to the advantage of those first disciples and to us today that Jesus went away and is seated at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession for us? Why is that to our advantage? Well, let's look at our text, John 16. Don't forget, this is the upper room conversation, the last words to his disciples before Jesus goes to the cross, before he is arrested in just a few short hours. We learned last week, Jesus is telling his disciples, because they hate me, the world hates me, they're going to hate you. Pastor Scott did an amazing job this last week. That was a phenomenal message that he preached. If you didn't hear it, go, you can go on our YouTube channel and listen to it. Jesus tells his disciples, hey, they hated me, and you're my disciples. They will hate you. Be prepared for persecution. And now he says, I'm going away. Let's look at the text. John 16, starting in verse 7. Nevertheless, after I told you, they're going to persecute you. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. You see the humor there or the, the, the irony there? You're about to get persecuted, but I tell you the truth. It's good that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. 
But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. But concerning righteousness, is because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. It is to your advantage, Jesus says to his disciples, that I go away. What? Come again, Jesus? What? what? How? How? How is it possible that it is to our advantage that you go away? You are the Messiah. You are the Messiah. You're the one who, as Jews, that we've been waiting for to overthrow oppression from Rome. We've been oppressed as a people for generation after generation. And finally, the Messiah is here. And, and why do we know you're the Messiah, Jesus? You control the winds and the waves. You raise Lazarus from the dead. You do miracles and signs and wonders. How could you not be the Messiah? You're the Messiah. How, how, is it that it is, how is it that it would ever be for our advantage that you go away? There's no way. The simple answer that Jesus gives is that it is better that he goes away that the Holy Spirit will come. And this is the, the, the basic point of what Jesus is going to say, is that God in the flesh walked the earth in one region for three and a half years for the eternal purposes of the gospel. Now the Holy Spirit will dwell in every believer, in every disciple, at all times, wherever they go. So in a general sense, this is the heart of why Jesus is saying that it is to their advantage, that Jesus came and dwelled in one region for three and a half years, and when he goes away and he's defeated death, hell, and the grave, he's paid the price for sin. That is for their advantage as well. When he's completed the eternal purposes of redemption, it is to their advantage. And, and then now that the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will indwell all believers, and wherever they go, the Spirit of God will dwell with them and in them and empower them for gospel proclamation. Amen? This is, that's the basics of what we're going to look at. So in our text, we'll see three primary ministries of the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Three primary ministries or advantages or the reasons that it is to our advantage that, the, that Jesus went away. So let's look at the text. Look back at it. Here's the first ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will convict the world. That's, the, that's plain and simple, right from the text. The Holy Spirit, this is the first primary ministry of the Spirit, will be to convict the world. Look, look back to the text. We just read it, and when he comes, what will the Holy Spirit do? He will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. So, so he will convict the world. Convict. What does it mean to convict? Well, this word convict here is the term, is a legal term. It's, it's, a pros, it's, it's a prosecution term. It's the idea of a criminal being convicted. He goes before the judge and, and the trial has been had, or, or if he's pled, he or she has pled guilty, uh, uh, then the judge brings the, the gavel down and brings the sentence, and they are convicted of the crime. It, it, G, Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit has come to convict as a judge, the world, to convict. So you could say it like this. This is the truth here. The Holy Spirit will either be your defense attorney or he will be a prosecuting attorney against you. Jesus will either be your defense attorney. How many of you would rather have Jesus as your defense attorney than a prosecuting attorney against you? Well, the truth of the gospel is, is that before you come to Christ and, and he is your defense attorney, he is your prosecuting attorney because he wants to be your defense attorney. He wants to defend you against the accuser of the brethren who is Satan. But before he defends you against the accusations of Satan, he's your prosecuting attorney. So he will either be, you will either, you're either sitting here today with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit as your 
prosecuting, with the Holy Spirit as your prosecuting attorney or as your defense attorney. He will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit works to convict and to convince the world of their sin and their need for a Savior. That's the basics of the Holy Spirit's ministry in the world today, to convict them and to convince them of their sin and coming judgment. And so how does the Father draw people to Christ? How does the Father, no man comes into the Father unless the Spirit draws him first. No one comes to the Father unless he's drawn by the Spirit first. So through the ministry, here's how people are drawn to Christ. Through the ministry of the Holy Spirit as accomplished through the preaching of the gospel. That's how the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It's through preaching. It's through preaching. And how many of you know that the world is not going to be convicted of sin, righteousness, and judgment? We're going to unpack what those mean because I'm the only one preaching. Look at the room here today. Got a lot of empty space for non-believers to come in here and to be convicted of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And if I'm the only one that is preaching in our community, and thank God I'm not, but if I'm the only one, if only the pastors in the pulpits are the ones preaching the message of repentance from sin to the world, the message is, is, is going to struggle to get out, right? But thank God, all of us as believers are called to be preachers. Right? We're all called to be preachers. Now, I, I want you to make this connection between the Holy Spirit's ministry to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and the connection of that through preaching, through the preaching of God's people. What, when the Holy Spirit came, he, he came on the day of Pentecost. Jesus told the disciples before he ascended in Acts to go and wait for the promise of the Father in the upper room. That the, the promise of the Father is the Spirit, and that when the Holy Spirit came in the upper room, and the, the, the 120 disciples were there. They were filled with the Spirit. They were baptized with the Spirit. They were empowered by the Spirit. What was the, what was the first thing that happened when the baptism of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit came and infilled believers? What was the first thing that happened? A message got preached. A message got preached. Peter stood up because the, the 120 were speaking in tongues and they were speaking in the native language of those that were in the room, the varied languages of, what were, of, of those who were in the room and the people were cut to the heart, the scripture says. Look at Acts 2. Look at Acts chapter 2, 36 and 37. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ and Jesus whom you crucified. This Jesus whom you crucified. This is Peter speaking. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That's conviction. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? The non-believers in the room who heard the commotion when the Holy Spirit came, they came into the upper room and they were confused about what was being said. And Peter stood up and said, let me make it plain. You are guilty. You crucified Jesus. You rejected Jesus. You are in sin. And the Bible says in Acts 2 that they were cut to the heart and they shouted out. They interrupted the sermon. Hey, quit preaching, man. What must we do? We got to do something here. We're under the weight of the conviction of, of the Holy Spirit here. They didn't know they were under the conviction of the Spirit, but that's what was happening. You see the connection of the Holy Spirit empowerment in the life of believers and the preaching of the gospel? So how will non-believers be convicted of sin, righteousness, and judgment? It's through preaching. Through my preaching, through your preaching, through the preaching of believers when they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, when the gospel of Jesus Christ goes out through our lives, that the Holy Spirit rides on that message and he pierces the hearts of those that have been prepared and the Lord does his work through the power of the Spirit to draw them and they'll shout out, they'll talk to you on your job. Hey, 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 I've been, I've been listening. I've been listening and watching. I've been seeing your life. I've been recognizing that you're a believer and I see something's different in your life than in my life. And, and, and what must I do? What must I do? Do you follow that? God has chosen through the foolishness of preaching, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, through the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. It's through preaching. It's not through dramas. God can use a drama. It's not through entertainment. It's not through through, through creativity and, and, and the arts. It, it's always a message. 
It's always a message. It's, it's, it's a message. It's a message of, of repentance. It's a message of faith in Christ. It's a message of sin, righteousness, and coming judgment. So let's explain what this is. The three areas uh, that the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So sin, the first area, sin. The idea here is not multiple sins that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of. It's the singular form of sin. It's, it's the sin, the ultimate sin. The most egregious sin against God is the rejection of Jesus. The most egregious sin against the Father is the rejection of his Son. And when people reject Christ and they live in rebellion against him, they will sin in many different ways. You guys follow that? When they reject Christ, the one ultimate sin, they're going to have many different ways in which they sin. So it's not the, it's not the conviction of the multiple sins that they commit. It's the conviction that, that they are rejecting the only one who is able to save. They're rejecting Christ. This is what he, the Holy Spirit comes to do, to, to convict the world of their rejection of Jesus. Look at John 3.18. After John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave. Look at 3.18. Whoever believes in him, in Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Why are they condemned already? Why is all of humanity apart from Christ sitting or standing in a position of condemnation? Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. The Holy Spirit has come into the world to convict the world of that condemnation, that they are under the condemnation of God because of the sin of the rejection of Jesus. Do you follow that? Are you tracking with me? The ultimate sin that anyone can commit is the rejection of Jesus, and this is the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel, yes, has many implications, but the point of the gospel is belief in Jesus as the Son of God. May we never confuse that. May we never, may we never get, get so so, so complicated with our, with our preaching that we miss the point. The point of the Bible is that we would see Jesus, that we would believe in him as the Son of God. We would believe in him. Secondly, he, the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of sin and then righteousness, that we would see Jesus as the only means of righteousness. This is the second area the Holy Spirit convicts the world. He, con he convicts them of their rejection of Christ. The idea here of righteousness is that the Holy Spirit destroys the idea of trust in man-made righteousness. When Jesus walked the earth, he exposed the hypocrisy of those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Remember the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee? Jesus tells this parable. He starts out and, and he says, he's telling this parable for those, for the purpose of those that are listening because they trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Holy Spirit will comes to convict the world that they cannot be right with God on their own. It is not by their righteousness. Why? Romans 3:10. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one. No one is righteous on their own. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Holy Spirit comes to convict the world that, that their attempts and their self-effort at gaining right standing before God on their own ends in emptiness, ends in condemnation. It's not by the righteousness or the works of the flesh that anyone is justified before God, Romans says. By the works of the law is no one justified. No one comes to faith because they are good enough. And the Holy Spirit works through the preaching of the Word of God to reveal to sinful humanity that they are not righteous before God and that they need a foreign righteousness, another righteousness, the righteousness of Christ imputed to them, given to them through faith. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is what the Holy Spirit has come to do. How many of you, some of you were alive in 1962. How many of you, these would be the seniors in the room. How many of you were alive in 1962? How many of you were alive in 1962 and you were aware 
Some of you, maybe, you know, you were a baby in 1962, but if you were an older, if you were an adult in 1962, you might have remembered that there was a competition in the car rental business. And then if you remember, you may not remember this, but who, who do you think was the number one car rental business in America, huh? Hertz was number one. Who was number two? Avis. This, whoever, whoever is talking to me over here, they know what I'm about to say. <laughs> they know the story, right? So Hertz was number one in 1962. They were the number one car rental business uh, in 1962, and Avis was tired of being number two. So a brilliant ad campaign person came up with a brilliant slogan for Avis. And some have said that this slogan was the greatest ad slogan of the 20th century because of its effect. It is said that in 1962, Avis, the previous year, had lost $3.2 million. So when you want to talk about an advantage that we talked about earlier in business, Avis was not getting any advantage over the competition. They were losing money to the tune of $3.2 million in 1961. But after the ad campaign into 1962 and 63, they profited $1.2 million. Wow. So what was the slogan? Well, here was the slogan. Here, it just a little, there's a whole printout of it, but here's the, the point of it. Uh, uh, they said this. They leaned into being number two. They said, Avis is only number two in rental cars, so why go with us? Simply put, we try harder. We try harder. We can't afford we can't afford to be lazy. We can't afford, and it goes on, we can't afford to not clean your seats. We can't afford to not empty out the ashtray. You remember when they had ashtrays in cars? We can't afford to not put fresh windshield wipers on your car. We can't afford to not try harder. We try harder, so choose us. The essence of what they're saying is, is that Hertz is going to get complacent because they're number one, but we will not be complacent because we are number two. We try harder. And my brothers and sisters, that is what humanity does apart from Christ. That's what you have separate from Christ. You just have to try harder. You got to try harder. You got to work harder. You got to try harder, work harder. Many people adopt the old Avis car rental slogan for their spiritual life. Try harder. But the truth is, is that only the righteousness of Jesus is sufficient. Only his righteousness, credit to, to us, is enough. So, the Holy Spirit has come through the preaching of the word to convict the world of sin, righteousness, that Jesus is the only means of righteousness, and lastly, ju judgment. What does it mean to convict the world of judgment? It, simply put, the ruler of this present world has been judged, who is Satan. Satan's ways and ideas have been judged as untrue and damning. He is a liar and the father of lies. And the Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning the lies of the evil one and reveals to them that his fate, Satan's fate, will be their fate unless they repent. The Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of judgment and presses onto their heart and tells them that if they stay in alignment with the father of lies in their life, that his fate will be their fate. The, his fate is a lake of fire. You see it in Revelation. And unless they repent, they are under the judgment of God, and their fate will be what his fate is unless they repent. That is the ministry of the Holy Spirit, to convict the world, to convince the world that Jesus is the Son of God. And that they can't be right in their own and they must have the righteousness of Christ. And that unless they repent, they are under the judgment of God. And so here's what I'll say. Any gospel message to unbelievers that does not align with what Scripture shows us is the Holy Spirit's convicting work of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That message is a false gospel. It's a false gospel. And there are many churches here today in our world that are playing games in church that are not preaching sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so when the world comes in, they cannot get saved under that type of preaching. If we are not preaching sin, righteousness, and if we're not preaching the sin of the rejection of Christ, if we're not preaching the good news that the righteousness of Christ can be yours, 
through faith. And if we're not preaching that the judgment is coming for those who don't repent, then under that type of preaching, salvation cannot come. It is through that message, the message of the gospel of sin, righteousness, and judgment that salvation comes. Amen? If church is trying to entertain non-believers into the kingdom, we've got to entertain them into the kingdom. We've got to make them enjoy Jesus so then maybe they'll choose Jesus. No, 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 no. We need to be in alignment with what Scripture shows us is the pattern. The, listen, follow me. The Spirit came, and what's the first thing that happened? Don't forget that. The Spirit came, and what was the first thing that happened? A convicting message about sin. And the sinners were convicted, and they cried out, God have mercy. What must we do? So on November 10th, when you bring your lost loved ones and friends, we're going to feed them. We're going to have games for the kids and bounce houses, bounce houses and obstacle courses, and we're going to play music, worship music, but I'm going to get up at the end of the music, and I'm going to preach a message of sin, righteousness, and judgment. We're going to preach the good news of Jesus Christ, and we're going, to, we're going to call for people to repent. So what about you today? Maybe you've come in here and you're not a believer, but what about you? Is the Holy Spirit's convicting work happening in your life right now? Are you uneasy right now? Are you not at peace right now? I'm talking peace, real peace, not, not temporary joy. I'm talking about Peace. Are you at not temporary happiness, but peace? Are you at peace right now? Do you struggle to find rest right now for your soul? That the deepest part of who you are. Are you in here right now and you're you're uneasy, you're uncomfortable, you feel a, the, the weight of sin on your life? That's a good thing. If you feel that, that's the convicting work of the Spirit at work in your life. Many years ago, there was a, a certain young woman who sat in church. She understood, she understood the great doctrines of the faith because she attended often at church, but she felt unworthy of salvation. So the story goes, she was almost in despair and hardly heard the words of the elderly man who was preaching. Then suddenly, right in the middle of his sermon, the preacher stopped and pointed his finger at her and said, you, miss, sitting right there, you can be saved right now. You can be saved right now now and his words struck her like a thunderbolt and she believed at once and charlotte elliott was her name charlotte elliott went home many of you know it she wrote this famous hymn these famous words just as i am without one plea but that thy blood was shed for me and that thou biddest me to come to thee O lamb of god i come i come so if you're sitting here under the conviction of the Holy Spirit of sin, righteousness, and judgment, come to Christ today. You can come. You can come to Christ today. Repent and believe. Place your faith in Jesus Christ. So the ministry of the Spirit is at work in your life. Come to Christ. So what has the Spirit come to do? To convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And secondly, as we move on, the Spirit, here's another ministry of the Spirit. It's to it's to indwell and guide the believer. The Spirit convicts in order to convert. The Spirit convicts in order to convert the unregenerate. But secondly, the Holy Spirit will indwell and guide the believer. Look back to our text, straight from the text, John 16, 12. Always like, do you know why I do that? Just a little side note in my preaching. Do you know why I say it? You've heard me say it a million times if you heard me preach. I will always say, look back, look back, look back to the text. See it in the text. See it there. Do you know why I say that? I don't say it just because I say the same thing over and over again. Sometimes I do, uh, and I apologize. But I, I say it because I want you to see with your eyes where I'm getting it from. You guys follow that? That's important in preaching. The preacher doesn't point you back to the text, and he's pointing you back to his intellect, to his ingenuity, to his revelation. No, no, we, we have revelation. It's Holy Scripture. And I want you to look back, look back, look back. I still have many things to say to you. Verse 12, but you cannot bear them now. But when the spirit of truth comes, what will he do? He will guide you into all truth. So what's the second ministry of the Holy Spirit? To guide the believer. He's there to convict the non-believer of sin, righteousness, and judgment. 
But in the believer's life, those who have repented and believed, he will guide us into all truth. The Holy Spirit will dwell in the believer, will guide them into all truth. Now, context, I want you to understand this. Jesus is speaking to 11 specific men right here. There's a context to them, but then there's a context to us. So when Jesus, follow me here, when Jesus is speaking to these disciples, these first disciples, these apostles, he is telling them that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide them into all truth. Specifically, Jesus is speaking to these apostles who were going to write under the inspiration of the Spirit what we have as our New Testament. Do you follow that? He's telling them, when the Holy Spirit comes, I will guide you into all truth. And they're going to write what we know as a New Testament. So, so Jesus basically said, in essence, I have many things to say to you. I have a lot more I want to communicate, but you can't bear it now. But when the Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. So these men would be used to write as the Holy Spirit would remind and illuminate to them the revelation of God. In 2 Peter, I want you to see this. This is 2 Peter 1, verse 20 through 21. Okay, I want you to see that this is what Scripture says about Scripture itself and how we got the Scripture. Look at 2 Peter 1. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture, what is prophecy? It's Scripture. Scripture is prophecy. It's the prophetic word of God. No prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. So what he's saying, what Peter's saying there is that the apostles didn't just interpret divine truth on their own, okay? For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, through though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's the doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture, that the Scripture as we see it, Old and New Testament, and in particular for our context, the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the epistles and Revelation, that holy men of old were carried along by the Holy Spirit to write divine revelation for us. And now, just to help us out with this, this promise of the Spirit's guidance in all truth does not mean that we will go around and get direct revelation from the Holy Spirit to add to Scripture. Right? Because what that would mean, if that's for them, well, then that can be for us. That, you know, God spoke to them and said he would guide them into all truth. But if that's the case, then there would be no completion of revelation. We just would all, on our own intuition, add to the Bible. But how many of you know that there's a warning against that? Revelation 22, 18. Look, look, look on the screens. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, speaking of revelation, but the whole Bible is a prophecy. If anyone adds to them, God will add to them the plagues described in this book. We don't add to scripture, my brothers and sisters. We don't take away from scripture. We have scripture as given under the inspiration of the spirit to the apostles. So I just want to give you a little warning here, a little side note. Just look up here at me. The Bible is translated from Hebrew and Greek. Hebrew in the Old Testament, Greek in the New Testament. And there are many ways in which, and one, one of these days I'm going to do a study on how we got the Bible and why we can trust it in its translation process. But there's many translations of the Bible that are out there. You have the ESV, the NIV, the King James Version, the New King James Version, New American Standard Bible. You have the New Living Translation. You, know, you have translations of the Bible. And many of you have different translations that you Use And then you have what's called paraphrases. And paraphrases are more like a commentary. It's people's thoughts and opinions about the Bible. Okay? So there's a translation that seeks to look at the word for word, the word of the Hebrew and the Greek, and to translate them into English words so that we can read the Bible and understand it. We're not having to be Greek and Hebrew scholars and, and experts. Aren't you grateful for that? I want to warn you about a translation that's out there. Many of you may even read this. Um, it's probably on your YouVersion Bible app. Um, I know that Bible Gateway has removed it from, if you go to BibleGateway.com, you look at all the translations of the Bible. Um, Bible Gateway has removed it from their website. It's called the Passion Translation. And I want to talk to you about the Passion Translation. The Passion Translation was written by a man named uh, Brian Simmons. And all you have to do, all you have to do is study the life of Brian Simmons and study the way in which he came up with this translation to know that you should not be looking at that translation. It's not a translation. Be looking at that translation as the word of God. 
And here's why. Brian, Brian Simmons says that he receives direct revelation from God as he is translating Scripture. I want you to follow this with me, okay? Brian Simmons says he is receiving direct revelation from God. I've, I've watched all of his videos about it. He says, I'm receiving direct revelation from God as I am translating scripture. That's not translation. Translation takes revelation, hear me, takes revelation in Hebrew and Greek of the Bible and translate what it says. Are you tracking with that? What Brian Simmons says he does is, is he takes the Hebrew and the Greek of the Hebrew of the Old Testament and the Greek of the New Testament and he gets revelation. God, tell me what it means. And then I'll translate it. Oh, that's dangerous. That's heresy is what it is. So, little side note, little side warning. I would not read the Passion Translation. And you may like it. Oh, it sounds so good and so passionate. Another thing that is just scary for him is that he even talked about visitations to heaven. And that as he was visiting heaven, that, that Jesus told him that there's a book in heaven, uh, that there's a, another book in heaven called John chapter 22. How many of you know there's 21 chapters to the Gospel of John? And Brian Simmons says that the Holy Spirit's going to give him revelation from, of John 22, and he's going to add to the Bible. Pray for Brian Simmons. That the Holy Spirit has come to guide us in the altar. So I, I want to connect the dots for you. So God, Jesus, spoke to these disciples and said, he's going to guide you. Spirit's going to come. He's going to guide you into all truth, and you're going to be guided by the Holy Spirit, and you're going to be under the inspiration of the Spirit to write Scripture. And then now, on the flip side, how does this promise meet us today? It means that we get the benefit of the revelation of God that he gave the apostles. Now we can see the word of God in scripture form and we don't have to figure out what, the, what, what divine revelation is. We have it. We have it. The promise for us today is that the Holy Spirit will guide or illuminate the word of God as passed down to us in scripture form. So you, you've probably heard the phrase, that's Greek to me. You've heard that phrase, that's Greek to me. So I'll tell you that before you come to faith in Christ, the word of God, it's like Greek to us. We don't understand it. It's not open to us. But, 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 but we see it as just ink on the page. But after regeneration, the word of God, what, what does it do? It comes alive inside of us. Our, our hearts and our mind come alive to the truths of Scripture. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Believers have access to the divine truth of the word of God. I love what the Christ-centered exposition commentary says. The spirit works through the word. The word is his means of conveying the gospel and bringing conviction of sin. We should never look for spiritual truth apart from the word of God. We should never look for spiritual truth apart from the word of God. So how does this apply to us? I, I'm, 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 getting, I'm, I'm making this longer than what I intended. Just track with me, okay? How does this apply to us practically? Listen, here's one way. I'm, I'm going to go through this quickly, so follow me. Us being guided into all truth, now that we have the word of God, here's how it applies to us practically. We as believers don't have to search for the big answers in this life. What are the big questions that need big answers? Well, there's fundamental questions. Here's one question. Who am I and where did I come from? That's a big question. People want to know, who am I and where did I come from? Well, what does God's word say? In the beginning, God created male and female. He created us in the image of God. He created them. Some, some have said the two most important days of your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. Right? Who am I and where did I come from? Practically, how does the word of God help us answer those big questions of life and guide us into all truth? It tells us, scripture tells us that we're not a cosmic accident. That we were born in the image of God and after his likeness. And then secondly, what is my purpose in life? That's another question. Where did I come from? But why am I here? Why are we here? Genesis 1, be fruitful and multiply. It's a pretty straightforward purpose, right? Get married and have lots of babies. Some of you do a good job at that. <laughs> but here's another purpose as to why we're here. The big purpose, Mark 12, Jesus said, love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. What does that mean? It means to glorify God. 
So who, who am I? I am a child of God, made in the image of God. I have a divine purpose, and that purpose is to glorify my creator. And then now, here's another big question in life. What is wrong with the world? Yeah. What? Look at the world. What is wrong with the world? That's a question that people ask all the time. Well, the Bible leads us into all truth and tells us what is wrong with the world. Genesis 3, we have the fall. Romans 3, as we read earlier, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Adam sinned, and in Adam all have sinned and fallen short of God's holiness. Sin has cursed humanity, and sin has cursed the world we live in. So, who am I? Where did I come from? What is my purpose in life? What's wrong with the world? Sin is what's wrong with the world. And what's the other big question we ask? What is the answer to all of this? How does the Spirit guide us into all truth as believers? He shows us the answer is Christ. I love, we're just going to read verse 23 of Romans 8. Creation's groaning. We are groaning for redemption. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. The Scripture tells us that Christ is the one who redeems us from the curse of sin. Amen? Who am I? I'm made in the image of God. Where, what is my purpose in life? To glorify God. What is wrong with the world? We're under the curse of sin. What is the answer? Jesus. These truths are what anchor our lives during times like we live today. And these big truths are from God and his word. And as believers, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have access and illumination of these truths. Amen? Sort of the primary ministries of the Spirit, as we've seen this morning so far, to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to guide the believer through the word of God into all truth. And lastly, the Holy Spirit seeks to glorify Christ. Look back to the text, John 16, 14. He, speaking of the Spirit, the helper, the Holy Spirit, he will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Simply put, the Holy Spirit's primary function is to bring glory to Christ. The Holy Spirit is about elevating Jesus elevating Jesus, pointing to Jesus, exalting Jesus, exalting Christ. This is the first pillar of our mission statement, to exalt Christ. That is the purpose of the, of the Holy Spirit. The text says, he will glorify me. Do you remember Jesus' baptism, Matthew 3? When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on Christ as a, as a seal, as a recognition of the, the coming of the Messiah, of the Son of God. The Spirit is there to place his seal on, the, on, on Christ. And then Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes as Jesus promised. And what were the disciples empowered to do? To preach who? To preach Christ. There is a direct link between Holy Spirit empowerment and the preaching of Christ. There's a direct link between the Holy Spirit's work and the exaltation of Jesus, the exaltation of Christ. Notice what Jesus said in the second half of verse 14. It says, for he will take what is mine, declare it to you. Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit will declare Christ or show Christ. The Spirit teaches and guides and illuminates God's word so that we will see Jesus more clearly, so that we will be more conformed into the image of Jesus. The purpose of the Spirit, the, one of the primary purposes of the Spirit is to point us to the word so that we can see Christ, so that we can become like Christ. Do you see that? The purpose of the Spirit in the life of the believer is so that we will see Christ through his word, so that as beholding Christ in his glory, we may become like Christ, and then we may glorify Christ through our lives. The Holy Spirit is at work in the life of believers for the purpose of Christ being glorified in them and then through them, in them and through them. I, I, I love what the Gospel Coalition says about this. This is the Gospel Coalition website. Listen Listen to this, it'll be on the screen, you can read with me. There is not one dimension of the Christian life that is not enabled by the work of the Spirit. Quite simply, without the Spirit, there is no spiritual life. It is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who convicts us of sin, awakens our dead hearts to hear and to see spiritual truths, draws us to Jesus as Savior and Lord, unites us to him, works ongoing faith in our hearts, assures us of our adoption, seals us, sanctifies us, revives us, renews us, 
enables us with gifts to serve Christ, leads us, assures us, teaches us, prays for us, and displays to us the magnificent, the magnific, magnificence of the gospel of Christ. Amen? All of this for the purpose of the praise of the glory of Christ. Amen? You know the talk of college football right now. Who, who knows who the talk of college football is? Deion Sanders. You said that wrong. Some of you said Colorado, but you know the talk of college football is not Colorado. It's Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders, the Colorado Buffaloes. Did y'all stay up till 2 in the morning and watch a double overtime win? <laughs> Some of you did. That's why you're sleeping. Did you just wake up? <laughs> Some of you that are sleeping, y'all were watching Deion, right? You know, some are critical of Coach Prime. Prime time, Coach Prime. Some are critical of Coach Prime, the Colorado State coach. If you watch his press conference leading up to the game, the Colorado State coach said of Deion Sanders, he was critical that Deion Sanders wore sunglasses and a hat to the press conference interviews after the game. And the Colorado State coach said, my mom didn't teach me to do that. She taught me to take off my glasses and my hat and look at people in their eyes. So Coach Dion's like, all right, why'd you have to go ahead and make it personal? You know, what's, what's Dion looking for? He's looking for the edge, the advantage. So he's playing on the coach of Colorado State, looking for that edge. But I started thinking about Coach Dion. And you know what? I think Coach Dion, I think Coach Dion is taking some of the shine from his players. That's just part of who he is. If you've been watching Deion Sanders since his Dallas Cowboys days, his Falcons days, his Cowboys days, you know Coach Deion, Deion Sanders is about Deion Sanders. That's why he wears the glasses. That's why he does that little thing that he did, his little dance he did when he scored touchdowns. That's, that's, it's about Deion Sanders. It's about primetime coach, prime, the limelight, the light, taking the shine from his players. And in this same way, listen, listen, follow me. In this same way, often people will attribute to the Holy Spirit, things that do not glorify Jesus. Often people attribute to the Spirit things that do not glorify Jesus. The Holy Spirit said this, or the Holy Spirit did this, or the Holy Spirit gave me this revelation, or said this, or said that, and it's not about the Spirit or Christ. It's about, it's about us. And rather, sometimes they focus on our personal experiences, our encounters, or our visions, and these things put the focus on us instead of Jesus. Here, my revelation, hear what the Spirit told me, and sometimes we can be like Coach Deion Sanders, prime time. We're wanting the limelight. We're wanting the glory. And what is the primary purpose of, of, the, of the Holy Spirit and his gifts and his ministry in the life of the believer? It's so that others would see Jesus. Not look at us. Not hear our revelation. Now hear what we have to say, but hear Jesus, hear Christ. The primary purpose of the Spirit is to glorify Jesus. The primary purpose of the Spirit to glorify Jesus should function as a filter to help us walk in discernment about what are the signs of the Holy Spirit's work and what are not. If you want to know, put simply, if what somebody's doing or saying that they're attributing to the Spirit if it doesn't glorify Christ and it points to them, you can know it's not from God, it's from another source. That'll help you. Help you out in discernment. If what people are saying, the Holy Spirit did this, did this, did this to me, said this, I had this encounter, this experience, and if it doesn't point to Jesus and it's about them and their encounter, their experience, their vision, their revelation, it doesn't point to Scripture or to the gospel, it's from another source. It's not from the Spirit. Walk in discernment. So the question I end with is this, what about us today? Are we in alignment with the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit? Do we live our life for the glory of Christ? Do we live our life for the glory of Christ? Listen, this is how, this is a succinct statement here I think that will help us. Are people able to see past us to see the glory of the gospel in Jesus? When we stand and preach, when we witness to our friends, when we work around those that don't know Christ, when we're with our family that doesn't know Christ, can people see past us and see Jesus? Can they see Jesus? We're not the point. Jesus is. 
And may our lives not be like Deion Sanders and steal or diminish the glory of Christ being seen. So Jesus said to these disciples, as we concluded, it's to your advantage I go away. Why? Why is it to your advantage? I, I, I don't believe Jesus. It's not to our advantage. This is to our deficit. Jesus tried to convince them because if the Holy Spirit doesn't come, he won't dwell in you. He won't empower you and guide you and remind you. But if the Holy Spirit comes, he will dwell in you. He will empower you. He will guide you. He will remind you. And then you will go. That's what he told his disciples. He said, if I don't go away, the Spirit won't come. And, and, and if the Spirit won't come, you won't be indwelt. You won't be empowered. You won't be guided. And you won't have all truth. But if he comes, he will indwell. He will empower. He will guide you into all truth. And you will go. You'll go. You'll go where? Look at Acts 1, 6, 8. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power. When? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. What's the purpose of the Spirit in the life of the believer? You will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, and all Judea, and Samaria. That was to them, right? And because of them, to all of the world. How is it that the gospel can get from Judea, Samaria, and, and into the uttermost parts of the world? How did that happen? Because those believers, empowered by the Spirit, they went and they told this person and that person under the, under the unction of the Spirit, they preached the resurrected Christ and that person was born again and that person was born again who told another person who people were able to look past that next preacher to see Christ, to see his glory in the world, was convicted of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and it has snowballed ever since the day of Pentecost. And we stand today on the shoulders of men and women who are empowered by the Spirit, who preach the gospel, and we walk in their shoes, and we walk in their footsteps, and we declare the risen Christ. It is not a new message. It is the same old gospel message that we preach. It's not, it's not new revelation, Brian Simmons. It's the same old revelation that's been passed down. It's that old gospel message that is a power to save, the power to redeem. Amen? And we go, and we preach it, and we're called to follow that pattern. And you're called to go under the power of the Spirit to preach Christ. Amen? Amen?